0: we receive it according to your will. Whatever you would have us ask for in your stead, as we pray those things, we receive them and are knowing your love. And so, Lord, I pray that we would continue to walk in that. Even as we pray this morning, I pray, God, that you would sanctify us. We pray this with confidence, with faith, because you have promised. We pray that you would open our blind eyes. We pray that you would open our ears. We pray that you would give us a passion and an appetite for your word that we would study it not just on Sunday morning but each day on our own Lord that we would never have enough of you that we would be content with the things of this world that we have and that we would be discontented with our spiritual gifts we would continue to seek more and more of that inheritance which you have promised us. Lord And sanctifying us I pray that you would make us bold proclaimers of the gospel sharing good news wherever we go Lord, that we would be so excited about what you're doing in our lives that we could not help but to share that with others around us. And so fulfill the commission that you gave us, but that you both gave us the will and the power to do. And so I pray that we would do these things in Christ. Lord, we lift up this morning those in our congregation who are ill this morning and away. Those who have recently been in hospital and are with us this morning. We pray that you would give them speedy recovery. And most of all, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be your church, that we would love one another in care and concern and prayer and that we would continue to uplift one another. Lord, I pray that you would give to each one of us what we need this morning. And whether our lack seems to be financial or in friendship or in any other thing, Lord, I pray that you would be our provider and we ask that you would cause your church to work with you as your child. Lord I pray that as we come to your word this morning you would speak to us through your spirit. That you would empower Leighton to speak what it is your spirit has for us but that you would also give us empowered listening and each time we come to the scripture that your spirit would speak individually to us as well. We ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We're in the Gospel of Mark this morning in verse 14. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Mark, and it's a a bigger chunk that Leighton's looking at this morning. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. John Mark 1.15 now reads the word of the Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Let God add understanding to the reading of his word.
1: Good morning. Good morning. It's big and reverbi. Uh, when you have your first child, they trick you. They dupe you into thinking you're a great parent, and so then you want more. And whether it's the second child or third or fourth, somebody along the way is gonna show you up to know nothing about parenting. We, in our household, um, are training our children we are disciplining them to obey us and that is not so they obey us i mean that's secondary it is it's a command train up a child in righteousness uh, and the children are to obey their parents but that is a foreshadowing that is so that we have children that are trained up to obey the lord it's not it's not for my sake although it helps This week, I was having a conversation with a friend about one of these verses. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they do. And my friend said, I don't think I could do that. Because these guys left their business as it was. They left their family as it was. Their income, their future, their security, they just followed And I think that, if I'm honest, that probably would have been my response. But as we train our children to obedience, we say in our household, right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And you need all three, or it's not obedience. This is the requirement of our Lord. Right away, all the way and with a happy heart. We require this in our homes. When we become members, Ron, Carrie, the rest, uh, when we become members of a church, we are submitting to the authority of our elders. I submit to the authority of those above me, and I am learning that so that I am ready when the Lord says, follow me, to say yes. Today's reading centers on the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. It's displayed again and again in this passage once he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand. And while I really want to start at the beginning of this section, expanding on what the kingdom of God is, but I'm gonna take a page out of Mark's urgency and jump right in to where Jesus calls his disciples. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So the burning question that leaps out is, what is it about Jesus, or what is it about his disciples here that would make them just leave everything after only two words? And every explanation under the sun has been offered, so these are a few that I have seen. Uh, Jesus must have been so charismatic that they wanted to follow him. He must have been so interesting or compelling that they would just stop what they were doing. Jesus must have met with them beforehand uh, so they've had some time to think about a career change. Or, here's one, Peter and Andrew were terrible fishermen. They weren't making any money. After all, they were too poor to have a boat like the Zebedee's. There are others, but none of these are adequate, not even a little. The whole point of this section is to affirm Christ's authority as king. They left simply because Jesus had the authority to say, follow me. I'd like you to hold on to that idea uh, while I recap a uh, little of last, the last sermon. Last week, we looked at the baptism of Jesus, which uh, in the book of John says is his revelation to Israel. Matthew calls it his fulfillment of all righteousness. And when we look at um, the flood and passing through the Red Sea and the Jordan, those are called baptisms in the Bible, we see that Jesus going through the waters of baptism, he re-enters the promised land through the Jordan as the only true Israelite. But Jesus' baptism was also his coronation. When heaven splits open and God says, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. Those are words from Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. And Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm. David wrote it as a prophecy. It talks about the next in line, the successor of the throne. And it also talks about the one who would rule all of the earth. So Jesus is crowned king as the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Why did Peter and Andrew, James and John, leave their nets? because Christ commanded it, he said, follow me, and they obeyed. And that's how authority works. But we, we just don't have that kind of authority around us anymore. Our society has moved away from wanting authority, submitting to authority, wanting to be authority. We have no reference for this, really. But when a king said do something, you would do it, or die. When a Caesar was crowned, there was no request for allegiance. Hear ye, hear ye, Julius is your new king. If it pleases you, our new Caesar would really appreciate it if you became his subjects and would listen to him. The very announcement of a new ruler holds the implicit demand for submission. Jesus says, follow me, and they did. Now, of course, they had free will not to follow. Lots of people meet Jesus and don't follow. But when the Spirit gives faith, breathes breath into the spiritually dead, you wake up and follow. Do you want to know if you're a Christian? The Bible says, look to whether or not you obey Christ. Do you follow the king? Matthew twenty-two fourteen, 14. <clears throat> For many are called, but few are chosen. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then John 15, 14, and John 14, 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you love me, keep my commands. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I find it interesting because Jesus is called the good shepherd, not the good fisherman. I think that's Gary and Conrad, if I'm honest. But we have this fisherman theme throughout the Bible. What's striking about the statement is that throughout the Old Testament, the metaphor of fishing is always negative. Jeremiah 16, this is about unfaithful Israel. But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rocks. My eyes are on all their ways, they are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. This is to Egypt, Ezekiel 29. But I will put my hooks in your jaw and make the fish of your stream stick to your scales. I will put you out from among the streams and I will give you as food to the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky again to Israel Amos 4 The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks the last of you with fish hooks So if there's any bold children here or adults that are as bold as a child what happens when a fish is hooked I want to I want to know what happens He dies It's over. We think of Christ's fishing metaphor as a sweet way to seek the lost, by hook or by net. We think of Jesus' fish as a bumper sticker, as like a simple little logo. Insiders know who you are. But the fish is a cross. It's a call The call of Christianity means death. It's death. So let's go back to the beginning of today's text. Verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent doesn't mean turn some. Change direction a little bit. It's a total overturning. Repent is a call to die. Leave it all behind. And Simon, Andrew, James, and John follow immediately. Their former life has ended right then. And their new life in Christ has begun. Go and catch others who are willing to die. Verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now I messed with the order of things this morning, and in doing so, we see that John's arrest and Jesus' message become more evidence that repentance, this change, is about death. John the Baptist wasn't just a town crier, a herald announcing the coming Christ. John is called Jesus' forerunner. Just as John was arrested, so too would Jesus be arrested. As John was executed by an unjust rule, so also would Jesus be killed. In John 3.30, John the Baptist prophetically says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And this becomes our template, both for our ministry and in our sanctification. Church, because Jesus is God, you and I elevate his name And ask him to make us more like him. Removing more of our pride. We get to die to our will to make much of Christ. The next verse in John 3.31 says, He who comes from above is above all. All this speaks of the incredible authority possessed by Christ the King. The end of John the Baptist's public ministry marks the beginning of Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. David Garland uh, writes an incredible commentary on this book. He says, The call to believe in the gospel indicates that repentance is not an end to itself, but the first step of faith. Where faith is absent in the characters in the story, it must be because repentance is absent. Only those who turn their lives toward God will be able to see and believe what is not self-evident to others. Because this evidence is not compelling, but veiled. Under Christ's authority, we are called both to repent and to believe. Repentance means death, an utter turning from who we were once. But death brings life. And repentance is followed by a new life directed by our belief in Jesus. We are called to repent and to believe. The reformers talk a lot about the sovereignty of God because it's simple face value. Scripture in every way states God has all authority molecules, galaxies, the course of human history and the boundaries of all angelic and demonic activity, all of it, everything is unquestionably under God's control. So when Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God has arrived, after the heavens are split open and the Father announces Christ's coronation, we should expect to see his reign. And we do. Indeed, the next five stories the ones that Josh just read, point singularly to Christ's authority. Uh, Greek scholar Bill Mounts calls this, uh, this section, Jesus Has a Good Day. And I like that. It's tongue-in-cheek. Of course Jesus has a good day. Every day is perfectly crafted by a sovereign God. But this title, it plays on our human sensitivity of things. Because everything's going his way. Everything in Jesus' first day goes well. It's super positive. He is received with open arms. He's accepted. And we call it a good day. Incidentally, the next sermon will be Jesus has a bad day. So you can look forward to that at the end of the month. Story one was the calling of the fishermen. With authority, Christ said, follow me. And they just did. Story two. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, which is church. Wherever there were 15 Jewish men of 13 years old, they were to put up a little, a little church. It's kind of on every block. And then they were to go to the temple uh, annually. So, go to church. He's there, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The one who calls with authority also teaches with authority. Now in Scripture, there was never a prophet that said, follow me. The prophets always said, follow God. There was never a sage or a priest that said it either. They only said, follow the Torah. And rabbi after rabbi appealed to other rabbis. But Jesus speaks as king. And the onlookers are amazed. Incidentally, Christian preaching is authoritative too. It's a sign that the kingdom of God has come. I speak to you today with authority. It's not my own. But I am proclaiming what the Bible says what the word of God reveals to God's own people. And it's a heavy responsibility on me, but it is a heavy responsibility on you too. We are not passive when the word of God is open. Neither of us, none of us. Moving on in this second story, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the region. Surrounding region of Galilee. Here too, there are no spells, no incantations, no rehearsed words of exorcism. Jesus only speaks with command and the demonic depart. This is like nothing the people had ever seen before. A teacher who teaches with authority and a deliverer who delivers with authority. Two notes about the demonic first where the spirit of the lord is there cannot be any other spirit where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom that's second corinthians 3. no one can be a christian and possessed by an evil spirit but a christian can be oppressed by evil spirits which means given lying thoughts feelings of fear they play on our weaknesses they They play on things that we have given foothold to. But we are not to worry or fear, and we are also not to be blasé or indifferent about spiritual forces of evil. Instead, we are to find our protection and confidence in Christ using the armor of God, Ephesians 6, most significantly using the sword of the Spirit knowing God's word, because all authority is God's. There is none more powerful than Christ who is in you. The third story. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And they healed, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Now, this story represents the first healing in Mark. And just like the removal of the demon in the previous story, the fever is removed immediately as well. Literally, the word is forsook. The fever forsook her, fled her body, as the demon did. And she got up and served them. Now, this service is not a menial task. It's not an attempt at repayment because what possible thing can be given that's equal to a miracle? Instead, we see that Peter's mother-in-law served as a response to what she experienced from the great servant. Christian, because God serves, you and I serve. The Christian owes nothing for his salvation, nothing. You are not indebted to God. Instead, we receive the gifts of God as gifts and we serve in thanksgiving. My friends, this, it, is, it is other religions that teach works traded for righteousness. That is not Christianity. So do not enslave what Christ died to free. When we serve, it is out of gratitude alone. Back to our verse. Verse. Seeing and hearing about these miracles, many afflicted come when the sun goes down, when the Sabbath is over, and Christ heals and delivers on into the night. But a note about verse 34. Jesus again and again tells people and demons not to speak of him, and it's for two reasons. First, he does not want the publicity of a healing show. Fame would work against his mission. But second, he does not want the witness of the unrighteous, not man or spirit. We think that it's a big deal if a demon would point out, you are the Holy One of God, you are the Son of God, Son of David, and the demons get his name right. When Jesus heals people, people always say master or teacher or something like that, which is also correct. But there's often a difference there. Anyway, anyway, God does not want the worship of unrighteous people. It is grotesque. It is unpalatable. Neither does Christ want the witness of the unrighteous. It's useless. Fourth story. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. In this fourth story, we just see Jesus leave. The crowds come and he leaves. He leaves. And he goes to the wilderness to pray. For that's where he gets his strength. That's where he gets his understanding of his mission. That's where he finds peace, in communion with the Father. When Peter finds him, he basically compels him to get back to work. And Jesus replies, let's move on to other towns that I may preach because preaching about God's good news is why I'm here. Jesus does continue to heal people and cast out demons. He does so in the very next story. But in this statement, he makes clear that healing and deliverance, actions in the physical world, only point to his mission of action in the spiritual realm. He comes to preach. In light of this, the Christians should feed and clothe and care for those in need, but our ever-present mission is preaching, to give witness and to give glory to Christ. Verse 39, And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Martin Luther writes, Let us consider it certain and conclusively established that the soul can do without all things except the word of God. And that where this is not, there is no help for the soul in anything else whatsoever. We rely. We need the word of God. Story five. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But it was out in desolate places and people, but it was out in desolate places, sorry. And people were coming to him from every quarter. In this final story of the day, Jesus heals a leper. He touches the untouchable. He confronts the unclean and he does not become unclean himself. Leprosy was understood as a punishment for sin by God. And as such, the rabbis of the day believed that it was as difficult to cure as is raising someone from the dead. In the Old Testament, only Miriam and Naaman are healed of leprosy. All of the others suffer in isolation for the rest of their days. I suppose Moses, too, he puts his hand in his cloak and his leprosy, he puts it back and it's healed. That was a sign. But leprosy is a curse for all your days, is what this, the understanding is. It was impossible. But Jesus commands even it, and decisively and immediately, the leprosy leaves this man. The irony of the situation, though, is that Jesus ends up trading places with him. Presumably because the man couldn't contain his joy, verse 45 says, he disregarded Jesus' words not saying, about not saying anything to anyone. And the notoriety which Jesus does not desire finds him anyway and Jesus is forced to go from town to town and suffer in isolation and in desperate places. Christ thus returns to the wilderness where his temptation began. And this last story becomes a foreshadow of our salvation, the great and unfair trade that is made. We trade our sin and our sorrows for Christ's righteousness and inheritance, at the cross. This is what Jesus does. He trades places. Our final word today will be about the first words of the passage. Jesus comes proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near and scholars have tried and failed to adequately explain it because the kingdom of God is already but not yet. It is his reign. It is hearts working in obedience to him, but it is not fully complete. We are forced to talk about the already but not yet. He rules already, but has not yet fully caused his rule to be fully manifest. So we have sin lingering inside sinners who are cleansed and pure. See why this is confusing to talk about. There are people and forces working in limited wickedness. God is ruling over everything. The wickedness we see is limited by him. And even though they they are doing this, even though the devil has been beaten, the parable about a man buying a field with a pearl of great price in it, from Matthew 13, shows us that he owns the pearl. It's there in the field. But until he, as he is actually holding it, it's not yet his. It's his, but it's not yet his. The kingdom is here, but is not yet fully here. Christian, because Jesus is king and God is sovereign you and I have been called to be obedient, advancing God's reign in the dark places of this earth. So train yourself now, for when the king says to you, follow me, that way you will be ready to obey, right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Let's pray. God, we desperately need you. Thank you that in Christ Jesus, we have you. We have the hope of heaven, the security of life eternal. Lord, that there will not uh, be the tears and sorrows and shadows that we Uh, live with in this life, in the next. Thank you that there are faithful people in the Bible that we can look to, and faithful people around us uh, that have given up all when you have said, do it. And Lord, that faithfulness is not of them, it is not from them, it is because you are faithful again and again. And that shows us that we can trust you and be obedient. Lord, I pray that you would show us your grace. And that we would know and understand the authority of Christ in our lives. And with gladness would submit to him. Amen. We're going to share communion together. It is a symbol of this.